0: Uh, Good morning, Westridge. Good to see you all this morning. We're wrapping up our series we've been in for four weeks now in the book of Ephesians, just looking at chapters four and five. Uh, And today we're going to explore this idea how when we make wise choices in our life, it can change our relational world. In Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, the primary verses we're going to look at this morning, Paul kind of sets them up as a don't choose this, choose that scenario. Here's what he says. Uh, He starts with the stuff that we choose to have in our life that isn't helpful in any of our relationships. And he says, our life will get better if we get rid of all bitterness. Now we can just stop there, right? We could do half hour or so just on bitterness this morning. It's not helpful in any relationship. We don't like to be around people who are bitter, and it's not helpful for our relationship with them when we let hurts and pains and stuff in our life linger and fester, and we become bitter. Paul goes on to say, get rid of the stuff that the people who know you best would describe as rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Those four words really cover most of our negative thoughts and our negative speech. They include what we think, what we say, what we email, what we text, and what we post on social media. While we're at it, Paul says, you might as well go ahead and get rid of all types of evil behavior. Don't choose to have these things in your life. Instead of choosing these, choose those. Instead, he says, be kind to each other. Be tender-hearted. And then Paul cuts to the heart of it all when he says, Forgive one another, just as God, as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Consistently making the choice of that over this is hard. It wouldn't be as hard if it weren't for all those people in our lives who mess us up, right? Right? This is one of those moments you don't want to look at the person beside you, throw an elbow. I think they know that you're thinking of them, right? We, need to, we would be better people. We'd make wiser choices if we were done with the people who cut us off in traffic or refused to let us merge and make us miss our exits on 90. We would be better if our children and our teenagers and our adult kids didn't misbehave, even into their 30s and 40s. We would be better if our family and our friends who fail and disappoint us just stopped doing that stuff. We'd be better off if we were done with the people in our lives who intentionally thwart our plans and our dreams. We so easily, out of those circumstances, fall into bitterness and anger, rage and harsh words. And I honestly believe that nobody in the room this morning wants to live there. It's not a great place to be. We don't like being around people who go there. We don't want to go there ourselves. We agree with Paul. We need to get rid of them. So the question really is, how do I choose wisely when it looks like I've lost my way? So Paul was really clear in Ephesians, right? There's no, like, misunderstanding what he's saying. He says, we need to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, and we need, in turn, to choose to become tender-hearted, kind, and forgiving—the what we need to do this morning is really, really clear. You guys get that, right? That was encouraging. Um, so it's not really tough to understand. That's what we need to do, right? right. Thank you. Sorry to wake you. Um, the what is clear. The how is not. There's nowhere in this that Paul says, okay, so here's how you do this. Here's a three-step strategy, or here's a four-step plan that's guaranteed for success. My logical brain wants that from Paul, but he doesn't provide it. The how, instead, is scattered throughout the pages of Scripture from Old Testament to New. It's there in direct teaching, it's there in people's personal stories, and it's there in some examples of things that have gone well and not well when people didn't choose the right thing to include in their life. So this morning, we're going to look at Proverbs 1 as a great source of wisdom. The entire book of Proverbs is a great source of wisdom. Most of it was written by Solomon when he was king of Israel. And the Bible says that in that era, he was considered the wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth. So I think it would behoove us to listen to Solomon's wisdom, if he was that wise, and just see what we can learn from it. What do we, how do we make wise choices consistently? Here's what Solomon says. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your ways? How long will the mockers delight in mockery and the fools hate knowledge? I feel like Solomon's words need a disclaimer. He may have been the wisest man in the world, but he may not have been the most relationally intelligent. His words are more often than not really harsh, really straightforward, like this and a couple of other places that we'll look at this morning. But Solomon clearly says here, wisdom is available if you're willing to look for it. In his day, the religious and political leaders would just simply grab a seat somewhere in prominent places, marketplaces, and around the city. And Solomon himself would at times sit at the gate of the city, and he would take questions from people. You could just walk up to the king and say, here's the issue I'm struggling with, and he would impart his wisdom, give you counsel in that. Through those interactions, Solomon observed and analyzed how people made choices as well as how their choices impacted their life. From his observation, Solomon identifies in this passage four different kinds of people and how they make choices and how they can help us with ours, okay? So here's the first we encounter as we live. Foremost among the four is the wise people of this world. People who, as we would expect, ask the right questions, embrace wisdom, and consistently make the best choices. These are the people who, when we're stuck, when we don't know what to do, when we've asked and we've not gotten clear direction from God or from anyone around us, these are the people that we want to ask for help. And a big part of us making wise decisions in life is really comes down to who do we hang around with? There are people in this world we know personally who will make us bitter, and there are those who will make us better. We want to hang around the people who will make us better. That's a big part of how we make wise choices moving forward. And Solomon says, just look around. Seek out people that you know. They may be somebody you work with, a friend or family. Eh, No, not family, really. Uh, Find wise people, neighbors, somebody in your community group that you look at and go, I value their wisdom. We all have wise people in our lives, and though we may not like their counsel, they are willing to help us if we'll humble ourselves and ask, and if we'll be patient enough, to listen to their counsel. Now, Solomon also wrote extensively on three other types of people who are clearly unwise. In contrast to the wise, these people won't ask for wisdom and they won't listen when it's offered. And frankly, they're the kind of people we don't want in our life, advising our choices and our path in life. So the first, and again, I just say Solomon wasn't very, like, he didn't sugarcoat any of this. He said, first of all, they're the simple people right? Now, if I were to choose a different word, I might soften it by saying they're naive, they're clueless, or they're just simply people who lack experience in what we're facing. Maybe they've had the experience and they just haven't learned from it. Whatever the cause, they're the simple people in life, and that's not a compliment. Occasionally, as I talk, I'll meet people who really weren't allowed to make decisions for themselves growing up. They had parents, they had family that just kind of said, this is what you will do. So they didn't have the experience of choosing and seeing if the consequences were good or bad and letting that inform how they make decisions in the future. Sometimes, even if we've had experiences and we've learned something, there are lots of things we face from cradle to grave that are first time experiences, and we don't know what to do with them. Sometimes we struggle the same way. Let me pick an easy example for this, of somebody who lacks experience and doesn't make wise decisions. And for this, I'm just gonna use my son when he was a teenager. Um, Great example, and he's not here to say anything to me about using it, so I'm just gonna go ahead. as a teenager, he was staying overnight at a friend's house. He and three of his friends decided that the best form of entertainment available to them was to make a ramp for their bikes, their bicycles, that they could ride on and then jump off of. Already there's some risk, but the risk escalated when he told us that they decided to build that bike ramp on the top of a two-story house. That's really close to the reaction I had. Um, And their landing spot was my next question, he goes, oh, we had it all figured out, we were gonna jump into the pool. And so they did. The number of bruises on my son's body, and later finding out that they tore the pool liner doing that, I think point out that it really wasn't a wise decision, right? maybe not their best moment. Now, why did my son do that? Because he was 16, right? He didn't know better. He'd never jumped off a roof before with a bike into a pool. He had no practical experience in this. (laughs) Now, he wasn't a bad person. He wasn't stupid, maybe a little. Um, The reality is he just hadn't had enough life experience to inform his choice. Before we get too smug, I think we can all admit that we hit stuff in life at every age that we've never experienced before. And it's tough to make a smart decision, a wise decision. Things like having our first child. Nobody knows what to do when they have a first child. When we get our first job, when we lose our first job, when we get married, when we have, when we reach midlife or retirement, when we have major losses and disappointments in our life. There's a host of firsts that come at us from our teenage years to the grave. Stuff that we're not equipped to make the best choice on our own because we simply don't have experience. Lacking experience is not a personal failing. It's just a reality that we have to do with. But insisting on forging ahead without wisdom from people who've been there, that is a personal failing. That's when we're being naive or clueless, or as Solomon say, we're being simple. We don't have to learn the hard lessons of life all on our own. Solomon has a little harsher word for the second type of person. He said, these are foolish people. And we don't use the word fool much today. At least I don't know people who use that word a lot. So we might call this person reckless or thoughtless. Or at the worst, we'd just say they're just not too bright. Solomon again was blunt in this passage. He said, fools hate knowledge. Now, it's not an emotional choice that Solomon's talking about when he says they hate it. Rather, it's a decision that signals a deliberate choice between two options, right? A fool will sit across the table from you and not listen to the counsel that you're giving him because you've walked through this before. A fool will look at you at the end of the conversation and say, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway. They're not just rejecting your knowledge. Fools typically reject whatever limited knowledge they have and their past experiences to arrive at a decision that they're going to make. When we lived in Ohio, we had two good friends, Steve and Judy, uh, who decided that one of their things they were going to volunteer and do in the church was they were literally going to, every Sunday afternoon, open their home up, and any college-aged, college-aged person who, lived, uh, who who went to the church could come, and they could bring friends, come hang out at Steve and Judy's house all afternoon and evening on every Sunday. Um, They would play volleyball, they'd swim in the pool, they'd hang out and have conversations. It was really a great time, and towards dinner, Steve and Judy would throw hot dogs on the grill, somebody would cook, and the college students were, all they had to do was bring some kind of a side chips, whatever, and sodas, and so they'd have a meal together. The college students fell in love with this, and there were dozens of them that gathered at their home every Sunday afternoon. The guys specifically fell in love with Steve's massive bulldog named Ike. Ike was an 80-pound bulldog. He was a big dog, and he was pure white. And so early on in this gathering, the guys decided it'd be really cool if Ike had a tattoo. And so they did the safe thing to do with a bulldog, and they drew it on with a sharpie. And every week, Ike had a different tattoo in a different place on his body that just kind of machoed him up like a bulldog needs to be machoed up, right? They could do anything. They discovered Ike's temperament, and the family was like, you can do anything you want with Ike except one thing. Don't feed him table food. Ike had this thing about table food. He went absolutely nuts when he got table food, and it never ended well, Okay? So one Sunday evening, we're just hanging out, having a conversation. Some of the guys are grilling and and getting ready to eat. One of the guys walks over with a bun and asks him to throw a hot dog in it. He puts the hot dog in and it falls on the deck. This guy obviously did not get the memo about Ike and food. And so thinking he's doing a good thing, he picks it up, he tosses it out in the yard for Ike. Ike grabbed that hot dog without chewing any of it. He literally inhaled it hole, and the hot dog lodged in his windpipe. Within seconds, Ike was laying on the ground still. He had passed out from choking on a hot dog. Now all the guys around the grill are panicking because they don't know what to do, and it looks like Ike is dead. Another guy who had seen everything walks over to Ike, picks up this 80-pound bulldog from behind, and does the Heimlich maneuver on the dog. No lie, the hot dog shot out of Ike's mouth like a missile and went 20 feet away and landed in the yard. They laid Ike back down on the ground. He stood up. He was a little wobbly. He shook. He shook his head and he went, oh, I'm good. And they all started to cheer, congratulate themselves. Ike had saved the day. They laughed about how silly it was, how the hot dog looked. They're having this celebration on the deck. Ike has no memory of what's just occurred. And Ike is standing there staring, and he goes, oh, a hot dog. And he walks over, and he eats it again. Now, we do the same thing over and over in our lives, right? We intentionally ignore the wise choice. We're reckless. We're thoughtless. We're dumb. And all the while, Solomon is saying to us, don't be like Ike. You don't think he says that? Look at Proverbs 26, Solomon writes, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. So Ike vomiting a hot dog and eating it is probably gonna be the main memory you take away from this morning, I think. (laughs) Solomon's saying, don't be like Ike. There's hope for the naive, the clueless person who's inexperienced. They just need time, experience, and wise people around them in their life, and they can become wise. They'll learn how. The clue, the cure for the fool is a lot more painful. Often, for a fool, it takes a tragedy for them to change their ways. And a fool is absolutely someone you don't want in your life helping you make choices. Solomon says, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools, they're eventually going to suffer harm. If we walk with fools long enough, it's not just us that's gonna feel the harm, it's people around us. We're gonna hurt somebody we love. It's one of those inescapable truths of life. We will, if we make foolish decisions, we will hurt a parent, a spouse, a child. We'll hurt a sibling, a friend, an employee, a coworker. And we'll find ourselves standing in front of them, someone we care deeply about, but we have also wounded deeply, saying things like, I never meant to. I wasn't trying to. I'm so sorry. Because it's often the friend of a reckless, thoughtless person who ends up suffering the most. And the reality is, they got hurt by what we did. The third type of unwise person is extreme. It's the mocker Solomon says this person is somebody you don't want working for you. You don't want to be married to them. You don't even want to be friends with them. It is the fool on steroids that becomes a mocker. It's a person who knows but doesn't care about the right or wrong or even the consequences of what they might do. And this person is often hypercritical and condescending in conversations. And you can feel that when you're around them because you're constantly off guard. They're controlling the conversation. What they bring to the conversation is insults and tension and arguments. And you feel it because, Solomon says, because when they leave the room, peace fills the room. And don't bother trying to correct them, Solomon adds, because a mocker will simply fire insults right at you as you're trying to help them. If I'm honest, this message hit me really hard this week. Wednesday, sitting up in my office working on this message, it was like God grabbed a 4x4 and smacked me in the head. I'm not too bright, so he hit me multiple times in the course of the morning. See, what had gone on this past week is I got into an email exchange that didn't go the way I wanted it to. and. Over the course of about 24 hours, I rejected wisdom. I started getting angry. I started heading towards some harsh words and some unwise choices. And as I'm doing this and God's trying to say, you just need to stop and pay attention to these verses for you, I'm arguing with God. Not out loud, but I'm still arguing with him, going, look, I have a message to get done. I have a deadline for turning this in, God. I can't deal with my junk now. I've got to do this message for the people who are sitting here who really need this message, right? Because their lives, they need it. I mean, I could benefit from it, but... So God and I had this banter, and it's not healthy, right? But I do this with a lot of times when I teach, and I I just find that God's going, hey, um, first question is, how does this apply to you? (sighs) So I dealt with it. I set all the message prep aside, and I just started digging through. Why am I so angry? Why am I all the wise? And I finally came to peace with it and realized this is what I've done, and this is the wise decision moving forward, and I'm really glad I did. See, the truth is, in any given moment, each of us is capable of rejecting wisdom and making the wise choice, I'm sorry, the naive choice. We can convince ourselves nobody's going to get hurt. There won't be consequences to this decision. So we make the naive choice based on our lack of experience. I think we're also, every one of us is capable in any given moment of rejecting wisdom and making a foolish choice. We ignore the wisdom screaming at us from our friends that we trust. And I think we're each capable as well of rejecting wisdom and becoming a mocker at times, where we insult and we rage at the people who are just trying to help us. And in the process, we wreck lives and we wreck relationships. In his wisdom, Solomon's asking, aren't you tired of learning everything the hard way? aren't you tired of hurting and wounding the people around you even though you never meant to? Are you tired of every year looking like the year before with the same problems and hang-ups and dashed hopes? Sometimes when we're faced with these tough decisions, there's a level of shame that we don't have what it takes to make the decision on our own, and shame demands us to be alone. And so we don't want to talk about it. We try to go it alone because this stuff can be really tough to talk about, the decisions we face, the choices we make that can change the trajectory of our life. And it's humbling to admit that we don't know how and we can't make this decision on our own. This morning, if you're facing a choice, And you feel like you lack the knowledge or the experience to choose wisely, get some help. Don't pretend. Don't try to fake it. Don't trust your judgment when you're alone. Find wise people and listen to them. And in the process, Paul promises, you do that and you'll start to get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander. And in the part in the in the process, you're going to discover some things welling up in your heart that you may never have experienced the level that you're going to when you do this. You may never have experienced being an overwhelmingly kind person, or being a tender-hearted person, or being a forgiving person. God says, If we seek this kind of wisdom, he says, then I'm going to pour out my thoughts to you and I will make known to you my teachings. And he'll do that through his Holy Spirit and the whispers of the Holy Spirit in your life. He'll do that as you read the pages of Scripture. He'll make his wisdom known. And often, he'll do it through a trusted friend doesn't matter what path you've chosen yesterday or the day before. We've all made bad choices, but we don't have to keep making them. The Bible says we can start over right now. We can choose a new path, and we can begin making choices that can dramatically change the world around us.